So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. And if you were here yesterday, <laughs> you heard the story yesterday, uh, the scripture anyway. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that um, Colin didn't go where I was thinking about going with this story. So um, um, doesn't hurt to hear it twice, does it, the scripture? So Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And I'm going to leave it there, deliberately leave it there. The road to Emmaus, it's one of my favorite stories, I think. It allows us to reflect for a bit on journeys, doesn't it? Life's journeys. And we have different aspects of journeys in our lives. And the obvious journey that is often spoken about from this story is grief. And I'm just going to mention grief to begin with, but it's not what I really want to... Uh, to focus on. Grief is the obvious journey, and grief hits us when we experience loss, doesn't it? But it's not always connected to somebody dying. We can feel it profoundly when we experience the loss of, say, a house that we've loved, a childhood home, maybe, that's sold, when we leave a job or when we leave a place that we love when we lose something precious like a ring 
or a piece of jewellery, a dog, a cat, a team that we've worked with. But we don't always connect loss with grief necessarily. In fact, we don't even talk necessarily about those things being losses. Sometimes we do. I've lost my ring. I've lost my job. But we don't necessarily think about retirement as a loss necessarily. And sometimes we talk to people who say they don't know what's wrong with them. And they, they say they're listless. They haven't got any energy. They haven't got any motivation. They can't just kind of get on with anything. They talk about perhaps being a bit depressed. And then they begin to talk about what's going on in their lives. And you hear that they've moved house recently. And they've retired. And a friend died. And a community choir closed down that they really loved being part of. And then their cat died. And you can see the catalogue of loss, one thing after another, all compounding. And you might say, might you be grieving? And all the pennies drop. And there's this great sense of relief that they're not going mad, that actually there is reason for why they're feeling as they're feeling. And in a way, it gives them freedom to feel as they do. And curiously, actually, they start to feel better because suddenly they've got an understanding of what's perhaps going on. And there is grieving in this story but I think there is something else as well. So Cleopas and the unnamed other, I was amused to hear Colin say yesterday, Mrs. Cleopas, because actually I've always thought it was Mrs. Cleopas as well. So I'm going to carry on calling her him, them, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas. If we think about where they've come from, what they've been doing, they've, they've been walking away from Jerusalem. They've likely, I'm supposing here, but I think it's, there's probably a good basis for supposing this, they are likely to have been up all night following the trial. The progression of Jesus going, shuttling between Pilate and the chief priests and so on. And the journey to Golgotha ultimately. They're likely to have been at Golgotha somewhere in that crowd. They're likely to have gone and found the disciples when they regathered after these events. And they certainly knew about the women that had gone to the tomb. So they may not have been in Jesus' inner circle, but I suspect they were part of that outer circle that were followers. They knew of the angel's declaration that Jesus is alive. Do they believe it? Doesn't sound like it, does it? They're confused, they're bewildered. They knew that the, some companions had gone to the tomb and found it empty. They know these things, but they can't make any sense of it. So they've probably had two nights with very little sleep, compounded by all the trauma, the shock at the violence, and the loss of this man. And these two, Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas, have decided that they might as well go home. And there is a sense of resignation in that, isn't there? Why did they decide to go home at this moment? Why don't they hang around and see what this business about the empty tomb is? Has fear overtaken them? Or is it just all too much? And so they leave Jerusalem with its pain and its trauma 
and the grieving company of people. And you get a sense that they're trudging, don't you? (laughs) Weary trudging that probably made those seven miles feel endless. And no doubt you recognise those layers of grief in the story. And we can learn much. Colin talked about the way that Jesus walked with them yesterday, which was lovely to hear. But I think there's another loss tucked away in this story, another aspect of grief that we don't necessarily talk about very often. Listen to what they said. Jesus was a prophet. We'd hoped he was the one. The women went to the tomb. The body wasn't there. Some had visions of angels who said he was alive, but nobody saw him. What have these people lost? Hope, haven't they? They've lost hope. Everything they thought that they were going to be involved with has gone. They're filled with disappointment at what's been lost, the future, the redemption of Israel. They had hoped. They've lost hope because they've lost their friend who seemed to be um, working towards this future that they believed in. They've lost their work, probably. They've lost their purpose. They've lost their way of life. They can't make sense of what the women said. They can't make sense of the empty tomb. They have lost all hope. I wonder if you know what that feels like, to have lost all hope. So much so that when Jesus comes up to them and walks with them, they are so not expecting him. They are so not hoping for anything that they just do not recognize him. They're blind to him. They had no hope or expectation of seeing him again. So they don't. They don't see him. They completely miss it. It's true of us, isn't it? We can be blind to his presence in our lives at times when we have no hope. The dictionary definition of hope says that it's an optimistic state of mind. (laughs) Don't you just love it? Based on an expectation of positive outcomes... Dostoevsky said, to live without hope is to cease to live. And I think that's what these guys were feeling. They ceased to hope. So they weren't living. Desmond Tutu said, hope is being able to see that there is light despite the darkness. Hope is essential for us, isn't it? And I wonder what things in life you've hoped for. And I think there is a difference between having um, a hope in one area of life that's disappointed and being able to kind of withstand that and deal with it and having all hope taken away. To be in such a difficult place of loss, trouble, that actually you can't find hope anywhere. And you know, hope isn't something that can be conjured up, can it? You can't be cajoled into gaining hope. Have you had that experience where somebody has come alongside you and said, you know, cheer up, 
things aren't that bad. <laughs> They're not that bad. You know, look on the bright side. There's always somebody worse off with you uh, than you. That's not going to give you hope, is it? Because hope has to be tangible and real for the person. Hope isn't transferable in that way from one person to another. Someone else's hope isn't going to do, is it? It just doesn't work. Curious, then, that Jesus, who would have seen all of that within them, doesn't say, but guys, it's me. Don't you recognize me? He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't say, come on, hope isn't lost, I'm here. And if they had recognized him instantly, think about what they would have missed out on. <laughs> In fact, the scripture says they were kept from recognizing him. Their eyes, including their mind's eye, didn't see him. Was that a bit cruel and unkind, do you think, that they should have had that experience of um, being kept from recognizing him? And Jesus calls them foolish. It's not good, is it? Actually, the word comes from, um, derives from a word that means not understanding, not reasoning, unmindful. And it gives the sense that perhaps they've lost hope because they hadn't got a reasoned, thought through, considered understanding of who Jesus said he was. It sounds as though their understanding of who Jesus was was perhaps a bit shallow. So it's no wonder, given the circumstances, that they've completely lost hope because it wasn't founded in anything. So Jesus lays the foundation. Who wouldn't have wanted to have been in the company at that moment and heard this depiction of scripture all the way through? All the prophecies, all the signposts pointing to who Jesus is. And still they don't get it at that point, do they? Still they don't get it. I read one commentary that said that Luke at this point has committed the, um, committed the most grievous sin because he doesn't say what Jesus said. <laughs> so biblical hope, what is that? Different from this optimistic expectation that the dictionary says. Hope is a bit different, not the wishy-washy hope that we rely on so very often. In Hebrews, it says, it talks about it being impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is a hope that has foundation. It's solid, it's reliable, it's secure, it is certain. And that's what hope 
in this context means. And it's anchored in God, utterly reliable, utterly safe, utterly sure. And when we understand this hope that anchors our soul, we are deeply transformed, as were Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas. And we know, if we finish the story, that Jesus broke bread and their eyes were opened and they understood. And then we know that they were changed, transformed, and that that listlessness, that trudging, that hopeless has changed into a race. And they leg it back to Jerusalem with every ounce of energy they've got. They were on fire with hope. What a transformation. But I stopped the reading where I did. Because our roads go on, don't they? (laughs) And sometimes they go on and on and on and on. But the hope of that impact, of that encounter with Jesus is there. And it's tangible. It changes hopelessness into hope. It changes despair into excitement and purpose. It turns trudging into running. Life is renewed. Life is restored. Sight is restored. And it spurs action. Changed people who will never be the same again. He can do that for you. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you'd like that experience again. Maybe you haven't yet had that experience and you're walking in a, on a road at the moment that does feel hopeless. Jesus walks with you like he walked with Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas. Keep an eye out because he may not appear in quite the way you expect. <laughs>